0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Easter. It's really, uh, it's really a privilege to be able to speak to you guys today, and I'm just glad it's not raining. It's just been a long time since we just had a nice warm day like this, so I'm uh, really glad to be here today. <clears throat> um, my name, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jeep Underwood, and I'm a civil engineer, and I work with the Army Corps of Engineers. I work on large-scale flood control projects. So basically, I make water go downhill. So back in August, uh, as we get started today, back in August, I was assigned as the project manager for a large-scale civil works uh, flood control project in Flagstaff, Arizona. And that's a great place to go all the time. You know, it's in the mountains. It's beautiful. Uh, but I go there a lot. And I have to fly to Phoenix, and I have to drive up uh, to Flagstaff, about two-and-a-half-hour drive and back in Phoenix. So I've, I've done that so many times. In the past eight months, Uh, how many people here love to get speeding tickets and pay the fine? Hmm? No, not me either. Me neither. But I have uh, had an opportunity to meet the finest there in uh, Arizona. uh, Coming back from Flagstaff back in August, uh, I was uh, I was coming back, and there's this little section uh, coming out of Flagstaff where it's a 65 mile an hour speed limit, and then it transitions to 75 miles an hour, which is for the whole state of uh, Arizona, which I really like that place. Um, So anyway, I'm coming along and uh, I thought that I was in the 75 mile reach already. It appears that I was wrong in my uh, assessment. And the problem is, is I passed a police officer because he was going too slow. So. I, uh, he pulled me over. We got to have a conversation. He explained to me the error of my reality perception. And I was told uh, that I, was gonna, I had a ticket for 77 and a 65. Now, I thought I was doing 77 and a 75. I figured, man, I'm, like, I'm on the line. I'm going to be good. And I was wrong. So as you can imagine, I am very concerned every time I get on that road to make sure that I don't do that again. And so I was actually just there last week. I had to fly in Tuesday, drove to Flagstaff, came back Wednesday. And so I have learned some features on Google Maps. And so Google Maps, I love that software, has a couple of cool features. It shows you the speed limit where you're at right now. That's a very good piece of information. And then it also tells you the speed you're going. And I guess it triangulates your position with satellites somehow. And it tells you how fast you're going. And so I'm I'm getting in my rental car and I'm like dialing it in. I went okay when I set it at 80, I'm really doing 78. Okay, so I'm gonna set it at seven. I'm gonna set it at 80, and 78, 75. I think I could. They probably won't stop me for that. And so I'm driving, trying to make a good time. And so I'm driving and I, there's this mountain range in between Phoenix and Flagstaff. You start winding around, and I start winding around, and I'm just kind of just kind of vibing, just kind of joined. I had some music playing. And I looked down. I just kind of kept glancing at Google Maps. I glanced down, and it it said I looked down, and it said ninety six miles an hour. I went, "Oh shit! They're not just going to give me a ticket. They're going to put me in jail." And so I, I looked down, and 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 for just a second, I'm trying to assess how can I be doing that? Uh, Cruise control still set at eighty, and I'm trying to assess. And I looked back down, and it said fifty six miles an hour. I went, "I know I didn't just decelerate forty miles an hour because I would have hit the windshield in three seconds." And I, I, I'm like, what the heck? And then, find, then you know, reality kind of dawns. Like, okay, this thing is not working. It's probably because uh, the cell surface isn't that good between Phoenix and Flagstaff up in the mountain range. And it just uh, was causing me a problem. Uh, my trust in Google Maps was greatly diminished at that point. And, you know, Google Maps, their their whole value is entirely built around the ability to reflect reality. <laughs> and when it doesn't, it's just not that useful anymore. And, you know, that ability to, per, to perceive reality, what's really going on in the world around you, is extremely important in life. It's extremely important in life uh, as you're trying to make decisions. Now, a compounding problem with that is that life is really complicated. Life is really complicated. You know, it's, it's complicated really trying to understand the world around you and how it works. Uh, the relationships you have with people around you. It's its really complicated to understand, like I said, what's going on around you, but also to make decisions and to live in the way you approach life in the middle of your life. And then figuring out how to get the outcomes you want. Like there's things that you really want to see happen in your life. And you uh, it's just hard to get to those outcomes. It, it's just complicated and it, it's, uh, it's confusing. And, you know, when I think of how complicated life is, I think of... A story uh, my friend John Tonesfeld told us a few weeks ago, when he went up walking in the he was up in the snow with his family, and they were just walking in the snow and his girls are having fun running around in the snow. But he's like crashing through several feet of snow and he's like crashing through, and then trying to get the other leg over and and he's just trying to walk. He could barely even go anywhere. And then he said the the real enjoyment was when he took a step and he broke through went through all the snow, and he stepped into a small stream that was flowing underneath the ice. That was, you know, if you you guys have ever been in the snow, it's really fun to get your feet really wet with ice-cold water. And, you know, that's the way, I think that's a good picture of, like, how it is in life. Like, you're trying to figure things out, it's complicated, and then you step through and you step in a few streams, and things get more complicated, you're trying to figure it out. And uh, it can almost feel like it's impossible to make progress towards the goals and the things that you really want to see happen. And, you know, the outcomes that we want, the path to them, just seems elusive. Um, you try different things, but the outcomes don't seem to follow. And it just gets really difficult. Like, we, we, we want good relationships, but it's hard. It's hard. Things happen. Uh, we want career success, but there's so many things going on inside that world, and it's just hard. It's hard. Uh, we want our little kids to respect us and listen to us so we can really guide them in life. But it's hard. It's hard to figure that out. There's just life is really difficult. Now, you might be thinking, well, thanks, Jeep. We're glad we came in today. That was great. That's very encouraging. Uh, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There's some good news that I really wanted to kind of lay out this morning. The good news is that God does not, any one of, does not want any one of us to be alone and on our own trying to figure out how to live. Uh, God does not want that for us. In fact, the imagery in Psalm 23 really makes that clear. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to take just a snippet. Let's look at just a snippet on the screen. Uh, It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He, one thing that God is saying is that he wants to uh, put a table right in the middle of the hard things you're facing. You know, all of us, there there's folks around our lives that might not be for us. Maybe we can consider enemies. But I think his, his thought here is even is much broader than that. It's like all the difficulties in life, all the hard, hardships in life. Uh, he wants to put this table right in the middle of your real life. And he prepares what you need on that table. And he wants to sit there and he wants to connect with you over that table. And, you know, as I was looking at this and as I've heard a couple of talks on this, the big question that comes to my mind is, why can't the table be on the veranda? Huh? You know, looking over the enemies, looking over the problems. I'd rather. Can we just have a different place? And, and I think the real reason that the table is where it's at is God wants it to be right in the middle of our real life, so that He can be with us, so that He can satisfy us and help us know that He's enough. Uh, it's right in the middle of our real life, so that He can give us a clear picture of reality in the middle of what we're facing. And the table is placed where it is because it's a place where he can actually hold our hand in tough times. He wants to be right there when we go through things that are hard. And it's a place that as we spend time with him there and linger with him at this table, that we then can overflow in the lives of other people because we're getting really what we need from him. Now, as I go on, I want to, why, the, the question that comes to my mind is, why do I get a seat there? Why, why do I get to sit there? Why does God want you to have a seat there? What, what is it about us that he would actually want us to be connected like that? And one of the things I want to look at, I want to look at two things that give us a seat at the table. Uh, first one is, let's look at Ephesians 2.10. Uh, it says, for we are his workmanship, and it's talking about God. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. That word "workmanship," it's it's from a Greek word that we get our word "poem" from. It's uh, I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys have ever written a poem. I wrote one in high school and I got an F. But but then I wrote there's a couple of poems I wrote in my life where I spent a lot of time on, and poems are hard, you know poems. You know, they take a lot of effort, they take a lot of time, they take a lot of thought. You've really got to think hard to make a poem. And, but when you get done, it's a completely unique expression of the poet's heart. It's a completely unique expression. And so we know that God actually put us together, each one of us individually, he put us together, and we're a unique expression of his heart. Uh, we're not an assembly line product. We're not, it's not a mass-produced thing. Uh, We're definitely not an accident. We're a -a one-of-a-kind original. And, you know, as I I was reflecting on this, my first flood control project came to my mind. You know, back uh, a long time ago. I'll just say it was a long time ago. But my first flood control project project that I helped lead and make happen was called Blue Diamond Dam in Las Vegas. And when when I got the project, I basically was given an aerial photo and a piece of paper with a couple of lines on it saying, Maybe here. And so if you guys can you guys see I hope you guys can see this uh, photo, but this is the aerial photo I got It's just a place where a watershed comes to a point before you go into the city of Las Vegas Supposed to work on a dam there So go ahead and go to the next slide So for the next four years roughly I led a team of people and we we designed Blue Diamond Dam and uh, it was it was difficult we had to figure out you know how much water it holds There's a squiggly line out here. That's the water surface elevation. Uh, It's about a mile long. It's made out of earth. Uh, It has a spillway that's 1,800 feet long, and it's made out of roller-compacted concrete, which is an innovative way to pour concrete. It was the first time our our district had ever done it, so I I was learning that. So I look at this picture. There's a whole lot of history for me, and uh, there's problems at one point where the hydraulics guys missed something. We had to put an extra feature in. I look at that, I could probably, I won't for your sake, but I could talk for a while about this picture. Uh, well it was built in 2000, about 2000, 2001 it was built. And a few years after that I was just on an airplane flying out of Vegas and, and as I usually do I just kind of look out the window because you know I can't affect anything but I like to make sure everything's okay. And so I was looking out the window and when I did I saw this, go to the next slide. Blue Diamond Dam. It looked just like my piece of paper. I don't know if you guys can see that very well. It looked just like my piece of paper. I'm looking down and went, there it is, just doing its thing, and we designed it to do. And uh, you know, I looked down at that. I looked down at that dam, and I just felt a real satisfaction and a real enjoyment that it even existed. And. I knew that it was perfectly poised to fulfill the purpose that it was designed for. And I just had a real pride of ownership. And I think that when God looks at you, that's how he feels. I think that when God looks at you, that's how he feels. And that's why you have a seat at the table. He wants, you, he wants to have that relationship with you. And he wants he, he designed you, and he deeply cares for who you are. The second reason that we have a seat at that table... Uh, is actually captured in a couple verses right before that verse. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If we could pull that out. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. <clears throat> you know, all of us, all of us have gone our own way and walked away from God. And what that did is it, it just created a separation between us, between us and God. And that kept us from having any access to that table that God really desired to put in our life. And what Jesus did when Jesus came and lived here among us, he took all of our sins on him and he paid for them by dying on the cross. Now, if you've ever, uh, I like watching war movies, but ever watch a war movie and these guys are fighting and all of a sudden a grenade comes in and someone jumps on the grenade and saves everyone's life? Well, one thing Jesus said is that there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And the very next thing he said soon after is, I call you friends. See, Jesus took the grenade for us. He took the grenade for you. He took the grenade for me so that we could have a seat at that table. And he he rose from the dead. That's Easter. You know, we're here today. We're celebrating Easter. Jesus rose from the dead and really proved that he was exactly who he said he was. And if we want to come to God, we have to come to him on his terms and not ours, based on what he's done for us and not what we try to do to measure up. But we have a seat at that table if we will come to the place where we believe. And what it says is, by grace you've been saved through faith. Come to the place where we believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he died for us, that he rose from the dead and that you, he's, you're really wanting him to be the leader of your life. What happens when, when that happens in your life, you can sit down at the table. He's already reserved it for you. He's just waiting for you to make that move, and you can sit at the table. But you have to believe. And so what I want to talk about today is what does it mean to believe? And a little, and just talk have some discussion on belief. You know, the word in, in the Greek that's translated faith and believe in many places in the in the gospels, uh, what it means is this, the nuances of its meaning is to be persuaded of, to place confidence in, to place trust in or to rely on and so the idea isn't like an intellectual i uh, an intellectual facts it's actually something that you come to be persuaded that's trustworthy that you actually put your weight on. And you rely on it. And here's some things that we need to be convinced of as we, uh, as we take a seat at that table and try to and meet with God relationally around his word. We have to believe that he cares for you. You have to believe that he cares for you and he designed you and he's intimately connected to you. You have to believe that he is competent in every area of life. And you have to believe that he perfectly understands reality and he will help you perceive it correctly in the situation you're in. But how do you move towards that belief? That's that's the big thing we want to talk about today. Is how do you move towards that belief? That kind of belief. And there's there's a couple of couple of uh, a couple of things that we have to deal with to be able to move towards belief that really can be obstacles to believing. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is I actually. Um, I had kind of mapped out, like, that, you know, basically it's kind of a, we like to do our own thing. But, you guys, how any of you guys ever listened to TED Talks? How many you guys listen to TED Talks? Do you guys enjoy those? I enjoy those. Uh, some of them are a little out there, but some of them, someone, some of them, people capture some real truths, little nuggets about life, and ways to express things that are really helpful. And this one got my eye, because it said, the topic of this TED Talk was, Why do you think you're right, even when you're wrong? <laughs> And I thought, that's a great question. Um, I'd rather if someone didn't ask me that. But why do you think you're right even when you're wrong? Uh, well, she, she boiled it down to, she said, basically the problem is our default mindset. I think she's got some real, some real insight here. The problem is our default mindset. And our default mindset is a, she called it a warrior mindset. A warrior mindset when it comes to certain ideas that we have. Uh, there's this unconscious motivation. There's desires and there's fears that we have that really shape the way we process and interpret information in our lives. It's like a grid that we pass things through. And some ideas that some ideas that we have, we feel very invested in, and we feel and they feel like our allies, and we want them to win. So we fight for those ideas to win. And then, as we as we as information comes in, we're like, well, I want this idea to win, and then. Other ideas that come against those ideas, we kind of view as the enemy. And we really want to shoot them down. It's just this warrior fighting mindset. And she gave an illustration. She said, it's kind of like watching your favorite sport. Uh, You know, you're heavily influenced when you watch sports because you want someone to win. And so when a penalty is called on your team, you have a lot of scrutiny you put into that. And it was a bad call. But... If a penalty is called on the other team, your scrutiny level tends to diminish considerably. And that was a good call. <laughs> and and I thought that's a great illustration. That's that's a default mindset that we have. We want certain ideas to win like that. And then so she she contrasted that warrior mindset with another mindset, and that she called it a scout mindset. A scout mindset. A scout is someone you send out before an army to determine what's really going on so that you can make better battlefield decisions. You really want to know, hey, what's going on out there so you can really figure things out before you move on. And she said, the marks of a scout mindset is you have a, the desire of a scout mindset is not to make one idea win or lose, but to see what's really there, to see what's really going on in a situation. And... Someone with the scout mindset does that as honestly and as accurately as they can, even if it's not convenient or pleasant. And they do that honestly as accurate as they can, even if it doesn't line up with your own ideas. It's a, it's a, it's a decision to see the world clearly. And then she asked this great question, uh, which I think is a great question for each one of us. She asked, what do you most yearn for? What do you most yearn for? To defend your own beliefs or to see the world as clearly as you possibly can? Do you yearn mostly to defend your own beliefs or to see the world as clearly as you possibly can? And I think that's, that's a huge part of being able to move towards belief and what God's sharing across the table is the mindset that you bring when you show up there. And uh, that mindset that you have really determines the help that you're able to get. So mindset. You know, a scout mindset, a learning mindset, instead of a warrior mindset when you sit at the table with God. That's something, an that you, that obstacle you've got to get past. Another one is just doubt. You know, uh, when you're sitting across the table from God, you're listening to his word, spending time with him relationally, and something comes across and you're just, you're kind of filled with some doubt on that. I want to talk a little bit about doubt and kind of how that plays out. And to do that, I want to tell you guys a story. Um... Uh, when I was 16 years old, I was young and impressionable, and I was convinced by some friends of mine to go snow camping. Now, those are two words that should never go together, just so you know, and I learned that through experience. I can speak with authority on this subject. Don't ever go snow camping. So, but they talked me into it, and uh, they said, well, you know, it's actually when you get there, you're in the tent. We've got to have a big tent. Body heat gets everybody warm. And we have some things we're going to put down. It's going to be, it's going to be good. We're going to be great. And went, okay, I'll go. Well, you know, when we got there, you know, they didn't have enough room in the tent. And I learned some things that day. I learned to be on the planning committee if you ever go snow camping. Um, make sure that there's adequate tent space. Uh, so my friend and I wound up sleeping outside on a tarp. And uh, that's a story for another day. If you want to hear it, you can hear it from me. I, but I lived. Uh, I don't have three fingers. No, I don't know. But I, I lived. Um, but, uh, you know, when we, when we came to that lake trying to get there, I'm going to go ahead and pull up, a, pull up the first slide of that. Now, this is Pinecrest Lake up where I grew up. This is a beautiful place. And this is a great time to go camping right there. <laughs> go to the next slide. Okay, this is Pinecrest Lake when it's frozen and covered with snow all over the place, deep snow, and the lake is frozen itself. And we camped way on the other side, if you can uh, kind of see where that's at. So we're standing on this side and we're getting ready to go across, and people are like, man, wow, well, hey, we, we're walking through the snow, we can't make any, we can't walk around the edge of the lake. Let's walk across the ice. Well, I don't know about you guys, but Doubts begin to fill in my heart. I begin to be very doubtful, and some of the categories I had doubts in were like big people, little people. They were little people. I was a big people, <laughs> and uh, there were some there were some things there I was concerned about. Another category was just uh, you know cracks in the ice, and if you fall through, I'd seen movies where people fall through, and it's it's horrible. And I thought, well, I'd rather not do that, and. But then I looked around, and this path around the lake was impassable, with all the deep snow and trees. kind of like what John was talking about in his story. And so I looked back over, and so I took a step on the ice and listened and felt everything was okay. So I took another step and another step every time I stopped. And then I went about 20 steps, and I'm out there going, I believe that I may live. And thankfully, no one went across the middle of the lake because we probably would have all died. But we, we were about 50 feet off the shore walking around on the ice. And it was a pretty easy way to get there. So we just hiked all the way and we went camping. Now, you know, I didn't plan to doubt. It just kind of just kind of rose up because I, I took in some information and I wasn't sure. Uh, now, doubt is something you have to deal with when you're dealing with belief and unbelief. Um, The English word doubt, it comes from a a Latin word that means to be in two minds. So it comes from a Latin word to be in two minds. And so a way to think about it is to believe is to be in one mind uh, about trusting someone or something is true. And unbelief is to be in one mind uh, about rejecting the truth of something. Doubt is right in the middle ground where you're of two minds. And it's kind of wavering between the two. You kind of believe in, and you don't believe at the same time. You're trying to figure out really what's true and what's not. And we tend to think that doubt is the opposite of belief. But it's not. Unbelief is the opposite of belief. Doubt is just this middle ground that we are, we're in a lot. And we have to figure out how we're going to... We have to move through that doubt. Now, by... When you're, when you're in that moment of doubt, you, you have a choice of how you handle that doubt. And what I, what I found is that if you can lean in to faith, lean into belief, and take a step, you can see if that's going to hold you up or not. How does this work? How does this turn out? And you move towards belief a step at, the time, a, step at a time by, by actually following through and doing what God says. I think a lot of us, we stand on this side of belief. And we never cross the line, so we never become convinced of something that's true that could greatly help us. And so we got to make sure that we don't get stuck on this side of obedience, but actually step through and, and get some help. So back to you know, back to my journey on the lake, you know, I had doubts. I tested it out, and I gained a lot of understanding of the reality of the situation. And then my faith and my belief in the ice grew, and I crossed the lake. Now, the next morning, I didn't have any of these problems. The next morning I was really ready to go because it was stinking cold. Uh, I was like "It's time to go, and I'm next. I just stepped on the ice and we just left. i didn't even worry about the ice. I did keep an eye on it, but you know it's uh, I'd become a believer, and that I think that's a great picture of really how you move towards belief from doubt, and so I want to bring us back to the table that that God has prepared for us. And in in really in the, in the presence of all the difficulties And right in the middle of our real life You know that table where we relationally spend time with God And linger with him And spend time in his word listening to him And you know that table That table is where God's promise in Psalm 32 8 Really gets realized Let's take a look at Psalm 32 8 This is God talking He says I will instruct you and teach you In the way which you should go I will counsel you With my eye upon you God wants to help you see the world and your world as clearly as you can. He wants to counsel, instruct, and teach you the way you should go, how you should navigate your life, and how to make good decisions so that the outcomes that you desire really do happen. That's something that he really desires. And it's right there at that table where our mindset and our doubts and our beliefs collide. And we have to deal with them. So... The questions that come up are, will we have a warrior mindset and fight for our deeply held ideas and be unconvinced by God's voice? Um, or will we have a scout mindset and will be willing to move away from our deeply held beliefs that are in conflict with God's voice? That's a, that's a real question, something we really need to deal with. And will we lean into belief and step into obedience uh, to God's voice, the things that we hear him say? It's very, very, very important. And there's some ifs that come with that. You know, if we let our mindset and doubt cause us not to listen, but to make decisions against what God has to say, the result is we just have to go back to the snowy forest of our own ideas about how reality works. And we just get the opportunity to keep doing the same things, hoping for a different result. Um, But if we can change if we change our mindset and we lean into belief and we listen to what God has to say and make decisions in light of the clarity that he brings the result is that his love really surrounds us and we really make progress in life it doesn't mean things aren't hard sometimes things are really hard but he's right there with you holding your hand going through it with you now today as we as we wrap up i just wanted to kind of paint a picture of some possible conversations that might happen at that table um, real quickly i'm, I'm going to show there'll be a verse up on the screen and i'm gonna i'm gonna just say what God may say to you across that table in these different situations so the first situation is you know you really want good relationships, but people in your life have really hurt you and so let's let's go to this go ahead and put the verse up. Colossians 3, 13 and 14. I'd like you guys to look at that as I talk. You know, God, He may, he may say something like this to you. Hey, I know how it feels to have someone wrong you. And, but I want you to focus on the forgiveness that you have from me and remember the grace that I showed you and the grace that I show you and the grace that I've shown you to actually spend time with you here at the table. And I want you to forgive them. And I want you to love them. And what you're going uh, to find over time is you're going to have more and more harmony coming into your life and into your relationships over time. And ask for some advice from other people that do this well and get their take. Other people that walk with me, get some advice from them. The question is, what mindset would you approach that conversation with? Would you lean into belief and follow or go with your own idea? That's a, every time we hear God, we've got to make those decisions. A second, a second uh, life possible situation is, you know, you really want career success, but it feels like you need to separate yourself from people just to have the time to do what you need to do. Go ahead and pull up uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You know, I... The conversation, I think, with God may go something like this. He may look over at you with real empathy. and He says, I understand, I understand the stress you're feeling. And I know you're trying to really, you have a desire to have a great career. That's a good thing. But don't forget that your career fits into the purpose I have for you and not the other way around. Uh, Something's much bigger than your career is going on in the world that I want you to be a part of. And you need to lean into community as your family because that's where you're going to be loved and supported and encouraged. Uh, That's where you're going to be spurred on to make a real difference with your life. And ask for some advice from other folks that walk with me on how they do it, folks that that, that they do it well. Get some advice from them. What mindset would you approach that conversation with? And would you lean into belief and follow or would you go with your own ideas? Those are questions we all have to answer every time we go to the table and spend time with god third third scenario is you want your little kids to respect and listen to you so you so you can teach them, but your ideas have not been getting the results you want, and it's been really hard. Go ahead and pull up uh, proverbs three eleven great you know i think i think I think God may this may be something he would say. To a person there is, I think it would be a smile on his lips and he would say I understand that with the ideas that you've been trying to put into place, uh, the parenting has been really hard and you haven't been getting the results that you want but I want you to think through how I relate to you as my kid first of all, I delight in you, I care about you, there are lessons about life that you really need to know that I want to teach you And if you listen and follow, you're going to have really good outcomes. But if you're stubborn, I discipline you by making the snowy forest of your own ideas harder so you'll listen and follow. And I do that because the lessons are so important so that your life can go really well. And I want you to use the way I parent you as a model for parenting your kids. I want you to delight in them. Delight in them that they know that you mean the world to them. Show your love by instructing them the lessons that they need to know. And if they're stubborn, discipline them so that they will listen and follow. And get some advice from folks who've done this well. Folks that have walked with me and done this well. And then over time, they will come to know at a very deep level that you love them. And they will respect you and listen to you and you'll be able to teach them. Now, what mindset would you approach that conversation with? Would you lean into belief and follow or go with your own ideas? And then the last, the last one, you know, maybe you're here today and it's like, you know, maybe, maybe this table is just not in your life right now. It's not there yet. Uh, you, You haven't really stepped across that line of faith and, it sounds really helpful, but you're just not sure that you believe all this stuff about Jesus. Well, you know, if you're there, I would—you uh, might have a, convers- a conversation. The conversation may be like this: If you go to John ten ten, this is a Jesus talking, but he may say something like, "You know, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, the things that you're looking for that are going to try to satisfy you." Um, are not, they're not going to make it. The, you can't trust this culture and the way they live life. That's just not the way it works. But I came to give you real life. I came to give you real direction and so that you would have a full and fulfilling life. And so I would encourage you today, if, if that's where you're at, adopt a scout mindset. And I would encourage you to lean into belief and investigate the truth claims of Jesus Christ, whether it's true or not. Uh, there's a book we have over here on the count, uh, table that we mentioned earlier, our Case for Easter. Grab that book, read it, and really kind of just take a look at what the evidence is uh, for Easter. Uh, get with a believing friend, someone you know that actually that walks with God, and ask them questions that you have, and get your questions answered. Don't be passive. Don't just stay in the land of doubt, but lean towards belief and get your questions answered. Find out if there's anything to this or not. I'd encourage you to do that. And then uh, as we just did the, the conclusion our time of our time together here today, I just want to mention one thing, and that is, you know, as you read through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus, what you see over and over again is that people marveled at him. And you look at that word marvel. You know, we think of Marvel comics, but this was like a real guy, and people would, whatever he did and the things he said, over and over again it says they just marveled at him. It was like... A big way of saying this is, wow. And there's only two places in the in the Gospels where it says that Jesus marveled at anything. Now, what what is it that makes God go, wow? And there's two places that we saw that. And let's go ahead and pull this up on the screen. Uh, one is with the centurion. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, Should I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He looked at this man who believed him, and he goes, wow. And then there's a time when he's in his hometown, all the people he grew up with. And uh, they're like, isn't this this carpenter's son? We know this guy. Take a look here. It says, and he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. One thing that really strikes me is that Jesus was actually prevented in helping people because they just didn 't believe and that's 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 why this subject we 're talking about today really matters. You can't get hung up in unbelief if you really want the help that God gives and the help he really desires so i 'd like to I'd like to just end the talk with a couple of questions for us to just think through this week. Um, one question is. What is God marveling at in your life right now? Your belief or your unbelief? What is God marveling in your life? And I, I'm going to take these questions, and I'm going to be looking at these myself. Uh, and then another question I'd like us to think about this week is, is there an area where you're struggling with a warrior mindset? Is there an area of your life where you're struggling with a warrior mindset, and you need to really adopt a scout mindset and begin to really listen to what God has to say. So I just want to as to kind of wrap this completely up. I just want to, everyone to remember something. Is that that table is there. That table's there. And wherever you're at, wherever, whatever, whatever it is that's, whether it's unbelief or a warrior mindset, if there's anything in the way, the table's there. And all we have to do is just connect to him there. Because God desires for you to lean into belief and get the help that he desires to give. So with that, I'm going to pray, and we're going to, we're going to go on uh, with the service. So let me pray. Dear God, Father, I, uh, I'm very grateful to you that uh, you got a hold of my life. And God, I just pray that each one of us would really come to the place where we believe in you across the board. And God, I pray each one of us, you'd help us to move towards belief from where we are. And I pray, God, that uh, the difference you make in our lives would really make a difference in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.